folks want to be innovative and they think innovation lies just in the tool, but they're not thinking about innovation being the mindset and the practice. Um, unless the mindset and the practice has changed, uh, we're just purchasing new tools. We're just purchasing new toys and we don't know what to do with them. So we'll, we'll get this Ferrari, so to speak, uh, pull it out of the garage and drive it in first or second gear for the entire time. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, we have on Dr. Randall Sampson. Dr. Sampson is author of Welcome to the Grind. He also has some pretty interesting opinions on education. And also, man, he stole my heart with that opening quote on innovation, not necessarily as the tool, but the mindset. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to get into that healthy balance of when is it okay to pivot or quit versus the when do you show that grit and resilience. As always, we love it when you join us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash start it up. Matter of fact, today's guest, Dr. Sampson, was a recommendation on our Facebook page. And we always are thoroughly appreciative when you, A, share the episodes, B, give us feedback, and C, give us examples like interviewing people like Dr. Sampson. All right, enough from me. Without further ado, Dr. Randall Sampson. All right, now we're joined with Dr. Randall Sampson. Randall, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, I had to laugh because uh, I had uh, reached out to you once and uh, gotten to see some of your stuff, and it was kind of funny looking through some of your accolades and stuff like that. The review on Amazon who said, if it's status quo is the headache, then the grind is the aspirin. <laughs> so, <laughs> I laugh. I, don't, I, laugh I have to go that. back and take. Yeah, I have to go back and take a look at it. I don't know who did that, but that is awesome. Yeah, favorite that one. So yeah. you've got a book out called "Welcome to the Grind: How Educators Achieve Exponential Results." We're going to talk a little bit about that. Just kind of the status quo right now in education, and maybe the shakeup we might need. But uh, walk us through a little bit about first of all, why did you want to write "Welcome to the Grind"? Yeah, so, you know, the, the whole concept behind the grind is, I tell people this all the time, uh, being in a school district or inside of a school building, it's, it's, it's a grind. It's what it is. And for those people who put 30, 40 years in, in the same building or in the same district, uh, you go in, you're fresh, you're ready to go your first couple of years, and then you walk out by the time you retire or halfway to retirement, and the meat is just falling off of your bones. So I tell people, school buildings are pressure cookers. Um, and it's a real grind. You don't see it happening, but over time, the next thing you know, the meat's falling off your bones. You're wondering what happened. Uh, how can we get better? And everybody thinks that teaching is, is this fun uh, place where you just kind of go and hang out, eat bonbons all day, and you kind of babysit. It's a glorifying babysitting job, uh, which is anything but, right? Uh, and so I kind of want to expose people to this grind, uh, being a teacher, being a an administrator that I was, and then working with people at the national level and think tanks and, and governmental agencies and at the, at the public and private sectors. Um, and then just kind of talking about that experience. And in the book, Welcome to the Grind, it really digs down into, if you're a good school district, how can you become great? If you are a good teacher, how can you become great? Um, and respecting the fact that you're grinding every day, and there might be a different way to grind, so let's kind of just talk about it and figure it out. So that's kind of how I started with this, um, with this whole journey with the book. 
So how long have you been at it? Uh, I've been grinding for about uh, 18 years in my, in my uh, career. Um, and a majority of that time, I, I would say half of that time is probably spent uh, either a classroom teacher or a school administrator at the secondary level, so middle and high school. And then um, the second part of my career, um, I had a chance to work with an organization called Knowledge Works, and, and they worked with uh, the early college models before that was even a thing, and, and STEM before everybody knew what STEM was, um, and partnered up with the Gates Foundation and some uh, national foundations as well. So, um, and now I have my own company called Liberty Leadership Development, where I work with school districts um, and schools exclusively on innovation. Uh, whether it's blended learning, you know, anything like that. So speaking of which, that's kind of one thing that I thoroughly enjoy talking about. We, we, how, how, how have you seen schools start to be just open to the idea of innovation? That's question kind of one. And then the question one A is, do you think that enough schools have an idea of what innovation is? Yeah, so I, I think we're going to start with the second part of that. I, I don't think schools have enough information about what innovation is, right? Because we're, we're seeing it all the time. So folks, I've, I've had school districts that, uh, that qualify for a, a grant to purchase laptops, right? So they all want to get Chromebooks and, and iPads and laptops and say, we're going to become an innovative school district. And then they purchase all of the laptops. They, they get it for an entire district. And then the stuff arrives. And they figure out, oh, we don't have a Chromebook cart to charge these, uh, these bad boys. And then they start to realize that, wait a minute, we don't even have Wi-Fi internet. How are we, we going to use this stuff? So folks want to be innovative and they think innovation lies just in the tool. But they're not thinking about innovation being the mindset and the practice. Um, unless the mindset and the practice has changed. Uh, we're just purchasing new tools. We're just purchasing new toys, and we don't know what to do with them. So we'll we'll get this Ferrari, so to speak, uh, pull it out of the garage, and drive it in first or second gear for the entire time. And our innovation doesn't open up, you know. No, I can't say enough, amen enough on that uh, because I do, I see the same thing. I've you know, I've been to some schools where like, well, we have a three D printer. I'm like, okay, what are you guys doing with it? Well, the kids aren't allowed to touch it. But our department head has made some Yoda heads. I'm like, well, okay. Um, you, but backing up even further, you said mindset. Um, I think probably one of the most crucial things that we can harness into is what I believe is, uh, is the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, this is my word. This is not my words. This is Tina Selig. But I remember when I first met her, she talked about the, the innovation cycle that everybody has an imagination, a level of engagement that's higher is creativity, a level of engagement that is completely unique, or at least completely unique to you is innovation. And if it's a beyond an idea that you think should go to the world, then it's entrepreneurship. So in some ways, like I totally agree. Like I, I think that Schools need to have a better idea of what innovation is. But in my humble opinion, don't talk to me about them being innovative. Push past the innovative and make them entrepreneurial. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even in my book, right? So I have these things called the, the, the pillars of growth, the six pillars of growth. So one of those six pillars of growth that, that, that deals with that is this pillar of being self-directed. Um, because when, when we say entrepreneurship, 
in, in schools, um, and, and, and I know this from experience, um, schools get a little frightened uh, because there was one school, uh, they, they asked us to come in and design, read, help redesign their school. And so we introduced this concept of the school of entrepreneurship. And so kids could do all these cool things, link up with business partnerships and so forth. But the school and the district shied away from it because it sounded too much like it's too much business and too much fun and not enough education. Yeah. Um, so so that, I know. I know. So that pillar, <sighs> we shifted it. So now the pillar is all about self-directed. So it, it, it can crystallize for uh, school districts and teachers and administrators and, you know, all the powers that be. So it, it, it becomes very clear that either teachers become more self-directed students become more self-directed in their learning and that's where the entrepreneurship really starts to spark um, yes we'll do it that way yes and matter of fact look i can't i can't let this go by unnoticed that that whole it's not necessarily school appropriate because you know, I, I i still get some pushback on this is like you know don not everybody should be an entrepreneur i'm not saying they should but everybody should think like one and and, and 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 that whole you know, I've been preaching on this for a while now for the last couple of months is that, you know, there's been a lot of studies and I think Forbes had the most popular article, half the U.S. jobs by 2020, that's not very far, are going to be freelance, are going to be gig economy. So that taking ownership of your time, taking ownership of your mindset, hey, like, like the factory's not, Ford's not hiring you, like that's gone. Right. So like the students that are sitting around waiting for instruction, the rest of the world's not going to treat you that way. Now, if you just sit around, you're just like, you're not going to do anything. So when I hear people like, well, we shouldn't be entrepreneurial. I'm like, Oh, right. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Because you, you have to take ownership of you. Absolutely. And, and I think there's another, I read a piece the other day and I can't remember the article or the, or the author, um, but it was talking about, um, you have this uh, uh, IQ, uh, intelligence quotient, that used to be the thing. And then you had the EQ, the emotional uh, uh, quotient, that's the thing. Now it's, it's, it's AQ, right? So it's adaptive, right? So now we're talking about when you're self-directed and you're being an entrepreneur, you have to adapt to the people around you. So the people who can adapt the fastest and adapt to the needs of their consumers or the needs of their uh, constituents or the needs of their family or the, or the people that they're working with, those folks who can adapt the quickest and get a product out to market and then revise it instantly, those are the winners at the end of the day, right? Regardless of where you went to school, um, what degrees you hold, or, or what level of, of academic intelligence you have. It's all about adapting. Um, and that's, that's a key part in my book, Welcome to the Grind. Uh, I had a conversation with some with uh, uh, the University of, uh, of, of Texas um, head football coach, Tom Herman. And so one of the things that, that, he's, that he always says is, I want the right fit of a guy. I want, when we recruit players, we want to have people that fit, um, that are very adaptive to what we're trying to do. We do not want to recruit just one kid that plays one position and that's all they can do. We want them to be adaptive to whatever the needs are on the team and to be a total team player but at the same time, they realize when kids show up, those skills aren't just there. So they develop them. They help kids develop that and beyond just the football field. And what Texas does is they, they do a really great job uh, with this thing called Forever Texas, right? So kids are exposed to the community. 
they're exposed to different job sectors. They're exposed to different leaders. And now the, the players are adapting outside of football for an actual career. Um, so the entire program, the entire football program, the entire university is going towards that model, uh, which I think is great. But that's what it's all about, having young men and women have skills that can be uh, adapted over time to meet the needs of uh, the industry or the job sector or, or their team. Yeah, and that, that's the beauty about this, uh, this book, um, this Welcome to the Grind. It touches on all of these facets, right? So it runs you through from a head football coach at the University of Texas all the way through a ELL classroom instructor and how she adapts to the needs of her kids when, when students in their district have 85 um, different countries are represented with 120 different languages, right? And she receives all of these kids in her classroom and how she adapts to that and she speaks to that uh, all the way to a superintendent uh, down in Princeton, Cincinnati, uh, Tom Tucker, that speaks to how the superintendency adapts to the needs of the community. So you have all of these things in between, and they all have their different uh, uh, facets of the grind. And they're all highlighted in there as nice little stories tucked in for multitudes of readers, because you never know where you're going to end up in life as far as a career or what your passions are or how you're going to chase them. But the ability to have this framework or have these stories that kind of weave you through that, I think that's the critical part. No, I can't agree enough. Uh, but when when people start hitting, this is probably going to go back to a little bit of the adaptab- adaptability part, um, but I've also seen a lot of people almost take it to the extreme the other way. Like, um, <laughs> And then there's some videos out there on YouTube that almost make fun of it that, uh, you know, well, yeah, I just don't think I'm making enough of an impact. And I want to find my passion. You're like, look, you're lucky to have a job, um, you know, or, or the person that has been on the, on the job for one week. And they're like, you know, I just, I, this isn't, I'm not what I'm passionate about. How do you also like, where's that blending of a little bit of resilience and grit meets passion? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the big thing. So I'm a case uh, example for that where you want to make a tremendous impact. And so I, on just, you know, a whim, I won't say a whim, but on, on just faith alone, I stepped out of my comfort zone. So I was comfortable being an administrator in a school district. And I went to a conference at, at the Harvard uh, um, Achievement Gap Initiative and had an opportunity to work with Ron Ferguson for a number of years. And while I'm at the conference, I told him, I said, I feel like, um, this achievement gap initiative, we can really make an impact. We can really do something great here. But me being in a building, I don't feel like I can make enough of an impact. And I made a, a significant impact in my building. But how can we broaden the scope of this thing? So I kind of pondered on it for a while, and it was very strategic. It wasn't just jumping out. Uh, I, I, I did a leap of faith, but it was a strategic leap of faith. Um, and with that said, uh, in my building, we had a 600% increase of African-American kids in AP courses in one year, a 35% increase from threes to fours on the AP exam. Um, and I thought that there's a model there that we could replicate on a larger scale. But in order for me to do that, I have to be in a different space. And that's when I decided to go to KnowledgeWorks because now I have total access 
um, to different organizations, whether it's the uh, Wallace Foundation, uh, whether it's the Ohio Department of Education and their partnerships, um, whether it's the Gates Foundation. Uh, so total access to different things um, and even had an opportunity to go to the White House to have conversations about uh, uh, digital tech. Um, so just that itself, but it was very strategic. It's not just uh, let's jump out and do this without, um, without that mindset of if I hit um, the skids on this, am I going to have enough grit to persevere, right? Uh, when I create my own company uh, with zero capital, am I going to have enough grit to persevere when the hard times come? And what am I going to do to make that happen? And that's where these six pillars of growth come into place. I always keep the, these six pillars of growth from the grind in, in mind, um, providing opportunities that are job embedded, uh, making sure that you have regular goals in your building or in your system. Uh, and then, you know, that self-directed piece and then making sure that we create a level of collaboration uh, amongst groups and, and being very data driven. So taking a look at the analytics and also making sure that everything that we do is, is highly student centered. Yeah. You know what? Like, let, let me back up because there's been some that are kind of like, Oh, data driven is, is so lack of personal. Um, and, and we should be focused on innovation. I I'm like you. So, but I want you to answer this. Where does innovation meets data driven? So for me, innovation and data-driven are the same thing. Uh, you can't get to innovation and personalization without data-driven. And uh, the case in point would be this. I'll have a spreadsheet up for, for teachers, just a regular spreadsheet with a whole bunch of names and, and data and the numbers and all the stuff that people don't like, right? But once I tell them that this student's performance went from here to here, and they look at the two numbers from where the students started and where they ended up. And then I would ask them, what happened? Then the teacher lists off, well, the kid um, showed up every day to school. I know his parents. I had three meetings with the parents. And I met with the kid five times for tutoring. And I did this. And then we took the kids to COSI, to our Science and Innovation Center. And we did these things in class. So they start rattling, all off. They start rattling off all the different levels of innovation that they're doing. But if you're not looking at the data, the innovation just becomes um, a static thing that you're trying and you're, you're just kind of going round and round trying to do. But the data provides that rudder that keeps you going into the direction that you think that you need to head into. Um, and, I, yeah. and I hear the same thing. I hear people say all the time, oh, we can't be data driven. Uh, data driven is too cold. Who invented that? That's not cool, you know. But at the end of the day, let's, let's be real about this. Um, if you're an Ohio State, Michigan fan like I am, uh, <laughs> when the clocks hit double zero, everybody's looking at the scoreboard. <laughs> nobody is saying, oh, that was just a great game. We don't have winners or losers, and, uh, and nobody cares about the, the score. Nobody cares about who had the most yards rushing and, and the most passes received. Everybody scours the data and everything they do every day. And without the data, you can't get the personalization. I can't say it any clearer. I agree. Because uh, I think that there's been some of this, um, I don't want to make it sound petty, but I mean like this soft, fluffy, um, let them do whatever they want. And if they don't do anything, that's fine. Um, and, and, and there's a part, you know, I had somebody on the podcast earlier that, that you know, gave some students time 
to, to find out their calling. And so they gave them, you know, they built a relationship. Um, but I do agree that like not looking at where you've been and where you're going, i.e. data is, is a mistake. Um, you know, it, it made it may sound a little old school, but there's, there's a reason for it. And, and that's true. I always, I always crack up because I, I too give sports metaphors. Um, you know, it, like there, it, there are, there are winners and losers sometimes. And like you said, you keep data, um, to, to see how you're progressing. Um, yeah. although it's all, <laughs> it's this soapbox moment. Uh, I was listening. I went to a conference one time about this guy who was telling us about what we needed to do in education. And I was looking through the bio. I'm like, this man's never taught. Oh man. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. And I was, and I was just thinking, I was like, and this is by no means a shot at Chuck Pagano. I think he's a good guy, but I live in Indianapolis and no one would pay for a conference. If the keynote was saying how to win a Super Bowl. Um, Chuck's never won a Super Bowl as a head right. coach. I mean, he, as a head coach. he did as an assistant coach, but you know, what, what would people, would people say, I'll, I'll listen to that from Bill Belichick. Well, depending on your feelings with Bill Belichick, but you know, you have, and you have credibility. So a lot of times sports metaphors seem to make sense. So I, I, oh, I, yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of the things that I share real quick, one of the things that I share with, with uh, some folks out there just this week, uh, cause we're talking about data, right? It's my fa- It's one of my favorite, uh, Peter Drucker uh, quotes, right? What's measured improves. And it's that simple. What's measured improves. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. As a matter of fact, unpack that a little bit. Like what's measured improves, but here, here I'm, I'm here on the other side of that. Um, I also think that what's measured is treasured. And some of the, th- some of the things that we're measuring too often is bogus. And I think that's the people that are doing the battle cry on the, you know, data isn't everything. I do understand the other side of it. Like, I personally think that the over testing that we do, the over, you know, emphasis of the SAT and ACT is a bit overblown. I get that. I do. Matter of fact, I had had somebody email me. Um, There was a, I'm not going to say which state because I'm going to get the guy in trouble. But there was, there was an email that went out to all the parents and teachers that, there was a, a guy coming to town and he had taken the SAT over 25 times so he could pick up on the patterns and your, your kid too could know how to hack the SAT. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's not a measurement of learning. No. It's a measurement of, I don't want to say cheating, but you know, hacking the test. Hacking so the, the, test. the people that sometimes I know had that battle cry of the data, the data, the data is too overblown Weigh in on that because we heck we started the, the the conversation with you know our identification of what innovation is may be the hard part. So data tracking innovation is the hard part it seems. As yeah, to what are your SAT scores and how they've gone up? Right. So the way I look at data tracking is it's all about the outcome, right? So what specific outcome do we do we really want? Um, and there's different ways to cut it. Um, so for me. I have a school district down in North Carolina, unbelievable. A school district down in North Carolina, they finished in the top 2% in growth for their value-added assessment, right, uh, for the state test. Uh, top 10% in math, top 8% in reading, and top 15, no, top 8% in, in science. Uh, so they received the overall B rating on their state report card, so that's great. And... You can hack the test by practicing, 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 like you said, for the test. But this school, the way we designed it, the way we set it up, 
the entire school year, we were purposefully um, making sure that the entire school calendar, only 2% or less of the school calendar is spent on assessments. So teachers aren't allowed to give tests or quizzes throughout the school year. Only 2% of the entire uh, time spent during the school year is allocated to tests. The rest of the time, you have to uh, allocate towards teaching and learning. So now you have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with all of this time? Because we're so used to testing, 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 right? So we have this thing called uh, uh, the instructional model. Uh, so it's, it's like the six-pack instructional model to where kids have to demonstrate their learning. So you're going to ask kids like create graphic organizers uh, that are digital. You're going to ask kids to create multimedia presentations. You're going to ask kids to have oral communication and speech. Imagine that. Uh, you're going to ask kids to actually debate issues. And all of this is structured on the rubrics and all the good stuff. But it's the change in mindset as to what data could look like. Um, we're asking kids to create uh, persuasive essays and create and have creative writing contests and have a, a, a poet uh, slams. And we're asking kids to also create like an um, a, a interview and a research process that's authentic to them. Uh, not an interview or research process based off of the SAT or the ACT, but something that's authentic to them. And now the learning becomes rich and we're asking um, the performance of students to become the data points rather than uh, an SAT, ACT, or state assessment to be the data point for the entire school year. Wow, that's, I love that. Although I've also heard, <laughs> I'm speaking from experience, I, I I get a little bit um, antsy when I hear parents that will say, yeah, teaching to the test is bad. And they're proud of that. Right. And so, and we all kind of admit that, like we should like what you're talking about is awesome. But if their scores start to slip backwards, all hell breaks loose because everybody's proud. Because I've talked to parents, I'm like, Hey man, what do you think of it? Because uh, I'm, I'm not going to get myself in trouble in this, but you know, the school in which I work, they kind of pride themselves on, you know, teaching <laughs> and not saying, you know, little tips and strategies. We don't, we believe that's just compliance. That's not learning. And so parents were proud of that. That's cool. We're school of innovation. Then the scores went backward a little bit. And, and in my humble opinion, they probably will. You oh, know, I, like they, they probably will because some of the students are like, you know, if you put a bunch of pressure on them and you teach them how to exactly maybe, you know, these little strategies like, well, if it's in the last two minutes, always, you know, circle in C or if you've done C too many times, go be, you know, okay. And I get it. I get it. We want to have, we want to show proficiency that we're not an awful school. I get it. Right. But when you at least meet proficiency, but you're starting to go backward a little bit, maybe, just maybe, parents, I'm talking to you, maybe it's because we don't put a premium on it. And just like a lot of parents will probably say, I don't want my son to be taught to the test or my daughter to be taught the test. Well, if we're not teaching to the test, if scores go backwards a little bit, it's because we're focused on more important things, okay? Right, absolutely. And, and this is where I tell parents this all the time, just so they can have some clarification. Um, there's teaching to the standard, right? All right, so people think, oh, you're teaching to the test, teaching to the test. Well, we're teaching to the standard, but what you have to understand is the standard is a minimum. The standard yes. is not the maximum yeah. outcome. Yeah. 
the standard is the absolute minimum. So if we're teaching to the standard like the parents want, they're saying, give us just the bare bones minimum. Yep. And, and once you I, and once you've shown you pass, move on. I, I agree. Yeah. So and what in our philosophy, when we're talking about the six pack, we're saying we're gonna teach to the standard, which is the minimum. However, the kids are going to perform to the maximum, which is their choice with all these uh, with these six various uh, levels of innovation. Yeah, I love that. I love that. All right. So the, the one of the most glaring, um, if, if you had to, all of a sudden you had a, you could make your own elective, right? And drop it into any, and, and you can pick elementary, middle or high. What elective would you create out of nowhere right now? My elective right now would be the SpaceX elective. Everything that's happening right now with uh, the, the rocket launch, with, with uh, uh, outer space, um, everything that Elon Musk is doing right now, that would be my elective. With a, with a hyperloop, um, everything like that, technology that has um, totally bent the laws of science, and having kids figure that out to figure out how can we bend it even more. That would be the elective. Uh, how we start, I don't know. Do we launch kids into space? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I think the kids will figure it out, right? So right. Uh, just opening it up and being open to, to new thinking rather than saying, well, the, the elective is going to be physical education, um, art, PE, and uh, and maybe you'll have an elective of of, of some type of home economics uh, uh, situation, right? So these are very traditional things that we've done. And don't get me wrong, they're important. Yeah. But if I had to, if I had to create something spanking brand new um, that's never been done before, that would be my elective. It would be like a SpaceX kind of thing. Uh, so yeah. uh, how how do we accentuate the hyperloop? How do we uh, accentuate the Falcon launch? How do we um, accentuate the, the battery operated uh, and solar operated vehicles. Um, how do we accentuate um, the urban travel experience uh, with the with the multi million dollar transportation grant that we have now? Um, how do we get Wi Fi to countries that have zero connectivity um, through Facebook's um, uh, drones that are flying out there? Uh, over top of cities, and they're all just powered by solar. Um, stuff like that, right? So how do we get all of this innovative thought out there? And every kid out there might not uh, uh, sign up for the elective, and every kid who signs up might not solve every problem or create something new, but it only takes one. Yeah. Wherever that kid is. Um, and my clear example to that is uh, in, in North Carolina, in Wilson, North Carolina, small little town, rural North Carolina, uh, they have a K-12 blended learning school that we started there. It's a charter school, public charter school. And with that said, uh, this public charter school, there's one little girl in this class. She didn't do very well on her testing, state testing prior to coming to our school. And then all of a sudden, she just took off like a rocket. And she uh, is engaged in self-directed 
uh, early college classes um, that are very interesting for her. And she's like passing these college classes in three months when the online version said this thing's gonna take nine months. And she's figuring out all this stuff and she's just this quiet little girl, but something about this innovation is sparked in her and it's driving her. And so just providing uh, students with these various opportunities, I think that's what it's all about. I love that. No, I, I love that whole framework and I love the idea there of the, the SpaceX. All right, Randall, um, you dropped some knowledge bombs. You dropped your six pack. Uh, now tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, uh, there we go, man. Uh, so I'm on Twitter, um, just at Randall Sampson, uh, on Twitter and you can, you can hit me up there and you can, uh, uh, find the book on Amazon, uh, welcome to the grind. Uh, so it's on Amazon, get yourself a copy. It's 1299 easy peasy. That's uh, a good reference point. Um, and then the cool part of the next place that you can find me, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it's this new site called Wakelet, uh, wake W A K E, uh, L E T wakelet.com. Uh, so I just created an account there. It's about a year old, but it's a place where I go and curate everything that's uh, germane to me. Uh, so on Wakelet, you can just curate information. I can curate my tweets. I can curate my Instagrams. I can curate my links that I love. And now I'm building um, my, my uh, uh, bank of knowledge according to me and according to what I see out in the world. Um, and the cool thing is if you're a teacher and you do it, you can submit your tweets and your Instagrams from Wakelet for grad credit towards your licensing renewal. So that's a, a cool little innovation that I have. So uh, you guys can follow me on Wakelet uh, and Twitter and some of the other spaces as well. That's awesome. All right, Randall, I appreciate your candor. I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I love having these talks and, and being able to extrapolate all this information. So I, I thank you so much for your time and being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And you're doing a fabulous job keeping the innovation and the spirit going uh, with people out there who, who are trying to find new ways to think and different ways to learn. All right. Appreciate it, man. Well, there you go. Another episode in the books. Like I mentioned before, if you want to join us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash start at up, we would appreciate it. Also, the next cohort is open and ready on futurereadyu.com. That's futurereadyletteru.com. If you are wanting your student to take some innovation, entrepreneurship, and mindset courses, make sure you check that out. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you on Friday. And this is Don Wetrick reminding you, as always, that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.